reading this morning, we find that same man writing to the church at Ephesus. If you'll turn to Ephesians 4 and verse number 30, he's writing to this church out of a deep concern for its welfare and its future. Ephesians 4 and verse number 30, Paul said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You know, we hear a lot about things that are wrong with Christians and, and in churches. You, you really, you can't even turn on the television without listening to some sort of criticism uh, regarding Christian people. The world doesn't hesitate to launch an attack against us. The, even the politicians and the entertainers and what have you have set themselves against us and our Christian values are mocked just about everywhere you go. We're made the laughing stock of society. And even within our churches, a lot of times we hear a lot of Christians criticizing things in the church. And by the way, there are no perfect churches, so you can always find something to criticize. Always. But seldom do we ever really get to the root of the problem. In fact, most people, I don't think, understand neither the nature nor the needs related to the problem. That is, they, they don't know uh, what it is and they don't know how to fix it. And I think deep down the truth is uh, a lot of people really don't want to know. And they don't want to know because it gets very personal you know, we'd all rather that other people think well of us than to admit there's something wrong with us. And, you know, maybe that's why we, uh, we hear almost nothing today about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, especially, uh, and, and it's a shame to say that in our Baptist churches even, we hear so very little about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, as a Christian, it gets really personal whenever you start speaking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. And um, over these many years in ministry, you, you can't help but learn a few things, whether you want to or not. There are some things that just, you know, jump up and slap you in the face and get your attention and that you can't forget and... So I've learned some things. One of the things I've learned is that God has a desire to bless His people. And He wants to do more for us than what we actually allow Him to do. The point being is that we limit God. We're not the only ones. You go all the way back to the 78th Psalm, and see there it said of the children of Israel, it says, they limited the Holy One of Israel. It's a, that's an amazing thought to me to think that we would set limitations on what God can and what God will do for us and through us and with us. 
And it's kind of like, you know, we say, well, Lord, do I don't mind being saved from a devil's hell. And I really appreciate you giving me the promise that I'll go to heaven when I die. That's all really wonderful, and I'm thankful for it. But now I'd rather you just really leave me alone. That's kind of the approach that a lot of folks take in their Christian life. You know, we're willing to go this far and no further. And so we set limitations on what God is able to do for us. But I've learned something else. I've also learned that when we're not experiencing the blessings of God, there's a reason for it. You know, sometimes we wonder, well, how come we've gone, you know, so many weeks now without a, without any souls being saved? Or we've gone so many weeks now and nobody has been added to the church? Or maybe we've gone so many weeks, months, or whatever without any young men being called into the ministry. And so we are wondering about these things and, uh, and then maybe months later. All of a sudden, it's revealed. All of a sudden, we begin to see. It's not that we're looking for it. It's simply that it becomes apparent that there is sin in the church. There's a problem in someone's life. And now you look back on all of those dry months without the blessings of God, and you realize, well, it's no wonder. God couldn't bless because of the sin that existed. I'm telling you, there's always a reason when we're not experiencing the blessings of God. It might be my fault, it might be your fault, but it's always somebody's fault because we're getting in God's way in some way or another because God wants to bless us and yet we limit God because we don't deal with the issues in our life. I've also learned that it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit that makes my ministry, your ministry, our ministry effective. It's not how well I enunciate the words. It's not the clarity of the illustrations I use. It's not the talent of the choir. It's not our ability to do things. Rather, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes it effective. Like the old song says, All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. You see, the key to success is what... God does in us and what God does through us, it's not what we do for Him. Now, that's not to say what we do for God is unimportant. Don't misunderstand me. That is important. But if anything's going to be accomplished, it'll be because the Holy Spirit is making our efforts effective. And it all boils down to our relationship with the Spirit of God. Have you ever, have you ever studied the sins against the Spirit? I mean, you go through the Bible and there's several different things mentioned there. There is the blasphemy, uh, it is a sin against the Holy Spirit. And, you know, generally it's referred to as the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. And a lot of people sit around and debate what that is. 
But let me just kind of sum it up by saying the only people that commit that sin are unsaved people because it is the final, ultimate rejection of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what it is. Whenever it's all said and done, your final, ultimate rejection of Christ. You see, it's possible for you to reject God and reject Christ to the point that it tells us in Romans chapter 2 that God gave them up to a reprobate mind. I mean, if you want to so harden your heart against God, eventually there will come a time that hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath where God will say, all right, that's enough. Uh, Sometimes people wonder, well, preacher, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin or it really bothers me. Well, look, if it really bothers you, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Because whenever you commit the unpardonable sin, God's going to cease dealing with you. But not only is there the sin, uh, the unpardonable sin as we would call it, but there is the quenching of the Spirit. And that has to do with us denying or ignoring or refusing the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Maybe the best way to explain it is kind of like taking a bucket of water and dousing a flame with it, you see. And, and when we do that, we place ourselves in grave danger. We Christians can quench the Spirit. In other words, it might be that you're in Sunday school, and all of a sudden there's a particular verse of the Bible that just grabs your heart, and the Spirit of God begins to do a work within your heart, and you know that He's applying that to your situation, and He brings you under a spirit of conviction, and you just ignore that. Sometimes in the church service, and Brother Kenneth can tell you that many times whenever you're preaching, you can see people that are under deep conviction and God is dealing with them, and yet they will ignore it and resist it and walk out of the building without ever having yielded themselves to the will of God. You see, they're quenching the Holy Spirit. But this morning, Paul is speaking to us here about grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, I think sometimes we really misunderstand God whenever we think about God. There's some people, you know, that in their mind, God is some sort of a, some sort of an influence, not a literal person. Let me tell you, the Bible attributes things to Him that that we normally attribute to people. For, for example, and you know, when it comes to trying to describe God, all you can do is just use the use our language. How else do you describe God? God is spirit, the Bible says, but God is a person also. The Bible speaks about God having a face and hands and feet and fingers and so on and so forth. So the Bible describes God in language that we can understand. And generally, whenever we think about God, there are several different words that come to our mind. And usually, love is at the top of that list. And for good reason, because the Bible says God is love. So it's only natural that when you think of God that you're going to think about love. But when we think about God's love, we think of things like grace. 
Because grace is the unmerited love of God. It's His unmerited favor. And so that's related to His love, right? We think about grace, we think about giving. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We think about God's goodness because we know that every good gift comes down from the Father above. We think about God's greatness. We think about God's glory. But seldom do we ever think about God's grief. That word grief means to, uh, to feel a deep pain. It speaks about distress. I mean, have you ever thought about being able to hurt God? Have you ever been, you know, thought about you can, you can make God suffer or you can make God sad? According to the Bible, you can. More so than you can possibly know. To think about making God sad or making God suffer. You see, God is a person. He loves, He hates. He can be pleased or He can be provoked. And He can be both glad and sad. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis and there in the days of Noah where God looked upon this horrible situation that existed in that day and it says that his heart was grieved. You see, because of their sinfulness and, and the society in that day had reached the point that God said, enough is enough and I'm going to destroy the world in a flood. And it grieved the heart of God to do that. And then we see later on when the nation of Israel had been born and raised up out of the loins of Abraham, we see that the nation of Israel grieved God 40 years in the wilderness. So it's possible for you and I to grieve God. I think of Jesus as He looked out over Jerusalem there in John 11 and verse 35 and it says, Jesus wept. He's grieving over Jerusalem. He says, you know, how many times I would have gathered you as a, as a hen doth her chicks, and, and ye would not. His heart is broken. He is grieved because they refused His offer. You see, we need to comprehend what this problem is. And the problem is, is that we grieve the heart of God we bring sadness to the heart of God. We hurt God. You see, the word grieve is a love word. What my neighbor down the street does, you know, I might feel sorry for him. Uh, you know, I, I might have a measure of sympathy for him, but it doesn't, you know, really bother me that much. I don't go into grieving. I can have a neighbor down the street that I've never met before. Somebody can say, well, did you hear the neighbor down, you know, ten houses down the street died? Well, you know, I can say, well, that's too bad. I'm really sorry. We can even take up a collection and buy flyers from the neighborhood or something like that. But I'm not going to grieve over it. But you tell me one of my children has died. And I'm going to have a holy fit. I'm going to grieve. You know, the woman down the street can run off with some other guy, and that's not going to bother me. But if my wife does, I'm going to grieve. 
You see what I'm saying? It's a love word. And that's why God grieves, because God loves you, and it brings pain to the heart of God when we resist Him. But we need to do more than just comprehend the nature of the problem. We need to, we need to understand the cause of the problem. Now, I can sum it all up by saying that it's due to sin. Right? End of story. And, and that would be it. That would be a perfectly legitimate explanation. That we grieve God because of our sin, period. Or I could go into great detail and go through the entire Bible and look at all of the different things that brings grief to God. And boy, we'd be here a long time today trying to do that. Or I could do what I'm going to do, and that is stay with the context. This letter that Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he mentions about five things related to what we're talking about. Notice, first of all, we grieve God when truth isn't communicated. Look at verse number 25. Wherefore, putting away lying... Speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now that could be a sermon all to itself. And believe me, there are enough verses related to falsehood and to lying in the Bible that we could preach for hours about that. But the point is that lying is never acceptable to God. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 21 and verse number 8, it says, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Now, that, that, look, that wouldn't surprise anybody if the Bible says, and every drug addict, every whoremonger, every, you know, bank robber shall all have their part in the lake of fire. That would, you know, we wouldn't think anything about that. We might even think, yeah, and that's what they deserve. But for the Bible to say, and every liar shall have their part in the lake of fire. Let me tell you, now listen to me carefully, because I don't want you to misunderstand, go away, saying Brother Stone said something and I didn't say. Because I'm not saying that if you ever tell a lie, that means you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying because a Christian can commit any sin anybody else can. But they don't live habitually in the power of that sin. There's a difference between you being under pressure, acting out of character, and telling a lie and being a liar. A liar is someone that is just habitually, whenever it, you know, whenever it fits the occasion, whenever it works to their benefit, they, they tell lies. And the Bible says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Now that's not the only sin that's mentioned, by the way. There are several others, but it's showing us the importance of us communicating the truth. And when we fail to communicate the truth, we grieve the Spirit of God. Sometimes we think, well, if I just tell a little white lie, you know, it won't be such a big problem. But people that tell a little white lie soon go colorblind. And after a while, you know, after a while when you tell one lie, then later on you have to tell another lie to some way, you know, to establish. And pretty soon you get confused and, and 
you know, it becomes apparent to others, you know, they've been lying to me all along. To think about, to think about us displeasing God simply because we're not willing to be honest. By the way, we could carry that right on through because when we talk about truth being, being communicated, it's not just during the course of our conversation with each other. I don't know about you, but I think, I think God is listening whenever we're singing and I think He takes that serious. Uh, it, it, to me, it, it's a scary thing to sing something and I know that I'm lying about it. I surrender all. Really. Are you serious? Now, we need to surrender all. We need to do that every day of our life. But whenever you know you haven't surrendered all to the Lord, when we come to that part, you just stop singing. I'm kind of... I'm kind of wondering what it's going to be like next time we sing that now. But it would be, look, it would be better not to say anything than to say something that we know is not true. Am I right? Because when truth isn't communicated, the Spirit of God is grieved. And when the Spirit of God is grieved, all of a sudden the blessings stop. But notice verse number 26. Here's another thing that we need to keep in mind. The Spirit of God is grieved when our temper isn't controlled. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Be ye angry. Now that's emphatic. The Bible doesn't condemn us for being angry. That You know, it's a good thing to be angry. God loves, but God hates. There's not anything wrong with hating the right thing. Not anything wrong with being angry in regards to the right thing. But he says, be ye angry, but sin not. In other words, our temper has to be under control. Or we grieve the Holy Spirit. And you know, this is probably more of a problem than, than maybe what we realize. Because a lot of times... If we're not careful, we let our temper get out of control. Like one woman said to the preacher, he was trying to explain to her how important it was to hold her temper. And she said, well, I don't mean anything by it. She said, I just say it and it's all over, you know. He said, yeah, it's kind of like a shotgun blast. You just pull the trigger and there's a big boom and it's all over. But it does a lot of damage. Our temper needs to be controlled. The truth needs to be told. We look in verse number 27. Temptation temptation must be conquered or we grieve the Holy Spirit. Neither give place to the devil. Now, none of us can keep from being tempted. Temptation is not a sin. It's when we begin to dwell upon it and we begin to lust after it that it becomes sinful. But if temptation isn't conquered, if we give place to the devil, then we have grieved the Spirit. Look in verse 29. We grieve the Spirit when theft isn't condemned. He says, let no... That's verse 28. 
Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let him that stole steal no more. Before I was saved, it wouldn't have bothered me a bit to steal something from people. It didn't bother me a bit. Whenever I, whenever I was a kid, I, I've been in, in, in a lot of houses in the neighborhood in the middle of the night when everybody was sleeping. I've been in there stealing. I'm, look, I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed of that. I wish that had never happened. People that loved me, people that trusted me, it didn't, it just didn't bother me to steal something. They had something I wanted and I thought if I can get it without getting caught and thrown in jail, I'll, you know, more power to me. I mean, that's a sick way to think, but I'm telling you exactly, exactly the way I was. But whenever I got saved, all of a sudden I'm confronted with this, let him that stole steal no more. And a strange thing happened when I got saved, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I began to care enough about people that I did not want to, to steal from them. It wasn't that I changed, it's that the Holy Spirit changed me. He's the one that made me different, you see. When we refuse to condemn theft, whenever we, whenever we in, in any way whatsoever promote you know, dishonesty. And somebody says, well, yeah, I'd never do anything like that. Well, probably not. Takes a lot of guts sneaking somebody's house at night when you know they got a loaded shotgun sitting in the corner. I'll tell you, it'll make you be quiet for sure. Now, you, you might say, well, I'm better than that. Yeah, I, I know you're better than that, but are you good enough that you would never cheat on your income tax? Yeah, you see, there's a lot of people that never commit a blue-collar crime, but they don't think anything about a white-collar crime. But it's all crime. It's all sin in God's sight because it's dishonesty. Taking what doesn't belong to you. Now notice verse number 29. We grieve the Holy Spirit when our talk isn't clean. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Well, God, I'll tell you, whenever He saved me, He totally changed my vocabulary. I mean, I was raised in a home where, you know, back then it was common for the men, I mean, they... You know, to, to just cuss like sailors. Uh, but that, that it was just common. It was to kind of be expected. But I'll tell you, they had some limitations. I'll guarantee you this. You can go to the junior high schools today. You can hear the girls in junior high using language that men would not use in the company of a woman when I was growing up. There's certain words and things that you just would not say in the presence of a woman, but, you know, there's just those other cuss words that was just a part of your ordinary, everyday life. That, but when God saved me, all of a sudden He gave me a sensitivity toward that kind of language, you see. As Christians, we grieve the Holy Spirit Whenever we use language, it's not clean. Language, it's not presentable. 
So these are the five things that he mentions. These are things that causes us to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now we need to think about the consequences of that. Well, the consequence is what? We grieve the Holy Spirit. Why should I have to say anything more than that? That we bring pain to the heart of the Holy Spirit, you see. And it's like D.L. Moody said, he said, I've never known God to bless a church where the Lord's people are divided. Because where there is sin, in a church there are going to be divisions. And you know, sometimes the church can be more divided than what we might think it is. Every time we have a unanimous vote, I thank God for it. Because I've been in those churches where, you know, it wasn't always like that. Because it seemed like there's always somebody that had, you know, had a better idea. And regardless of what kind of business you might be doing, they have something negative to say. Well, brother, maybe we ought to table this motion and think it through. And Well, the other 99% had already thought it through and prayed it out and come to a conclusion. You know, they, they just, you know, they just wanted to get their two cents in. That's all it amounted to. So I thank God for a unanimous vote. But let me tell you, because we have a unanimous vote does not mean that there are no divisions in a church. There can be all kinds of divisions, little cliques and little groups and what have you. That's why the Bible emphasizes the fact that we're, you know, to do all things without partiality, one for another. And I, I can't even begin to tell you all of the bad things that could happen as a result of a divided church and us grieving the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says in verse number 31. This is where we get down to the nitty-gritty of what, how this all relates to and actually gets down to the very core and cure of the problem. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. All of that in the context of us grieving the Holy Spirit. How serious is this? Well, it's serious enough if you go over to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, where it's talking about the manner in which they observe the Lord's Supper where some were weak and some sickly and some had died, it can be a matter of life and death. You go, go back to the book of Acts in chapter number 5, and Ananias and Sapphira, they lied unto the Holy Spirit and what? God killed them both. You see, it's serious. When we grieve the Spirit of God, we're not only cutting ourselves off from the blessings of God, we're laying our head on the chopping block, so to speak. We're putting ourselves in grave danger when we do that. And here, we wonder sometimes, well, I just wonder why nothing's happening in the church. Well, it just might be because of your bitterness and your rancor and your anger and so on and so forth, or your jealousy and whatever it is towards somebody else. 
It could be that. Oh, you say, well, I'd like to think better of our church too. I'd like to think better of it too. I bet it'd be wonderful. But I got more sense than that because I can see what goes on a lot of times. Some of you come in here every Sunday and pretend like everything's all right. And it's not, and you know it's not. You have a boatload of junk in your heart that need you need to get rid of this morning. Because what you're doing is grieving the Holy Spirit. It's hindering this church. And it's putting you in grave danger. So what's the cure for the problem? Well, you know, when it gets down to this, this is where it really gets personal. Because a lot of times, some people, you know, they're willing to admit, well, yeah, there is a problem, you know, and I'm a part of that problem and and what have you, but they, they never make any attempt to resolve the situation. It's just kind of like, well, if we get a good night's sleep, it'll resolve itself and just magically go away. No, it won't. Look, if you've got cancer, it's not going to get better by you ignoring it. It's going to get better whenever... They cut it out. And for us to correct the situation when we have grieved the Spirit of God and robbing the church of the blessings of God and endangering ourselves, the cure for it is like the cure for any sin, and that's to confess our sins. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But whenever you pray for forgiveness, you need also to pray for the strength to not have a repeat performance. Because a lot of times we'll pray, Dear Lord, forgive me. I know what I did was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry about it. Lord, forgive me. But I'm telling you, that doesn't mean you've made everything in your heart right with God. It's one thing to be forgiven. It's another thing to be restored to fellowship with God. Look, just across the page in chapter number 5, and this gets down to the very answer that we need. He says in verse 18, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the solution right there. Being filled, that is being controlled by the Spirit of God. Because when that happens, all of a sudden we begin to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And you look in Galatians 5, verse 22 and verse 23, and you see those nine things, beginning with love, those nine different graces that make up the fruit of the Spirit. Can you imagine being in a church where every member is filled with the Spirit? There's love, there's joy, there is peace and long-suffering and gentleness and so forth. And the last thing mentioned was temperance, that is self-control. Imagine being in a church like that. Do you realize that the first church, Acts chapter number 2, tells us that they were all fill with the Holy Ghost of God. Wow. They were all filled with the Spirit. 
Look, that ought to be the norm for every church. Sometimes we think, well, I, I wish we could just get back to being a real New Testament church like that first church. Well, that's the kind of church we want to be. Well, to be that kind of a church, we have to be personally, individually filled with the Spirit of God. And that, let me tell you, if that happens, there is no limit to the things that God can do through this church right here. No limit whatsoever. The only thing hindering God is us getting in His way. Now, i got one more thing I want to say, and I'm through, because when we talk about being filled with the Spirit of God, we're talking about believers yielding themselves, surrendering themselves to the control of God's Spirit. But you need to understand, if you're here today and, uh, and you've never received Christ as your Savior, that it grieves the heart of God for you to go on in that unsaved condition. As I said a while ago, Jesus wept. It hurts the heart of God because the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, well, I, I just want God's will to be done for my life. Well, it starts with you becoming a child of God. That's where it starts. Because you can't do anything acceptable to God until, first of all, you're a child of God. That's where it starts for you. And if you've been saved and you're here today and you know that you're saved, and look, folks, let's be honest, it might be, I didn't, I didn't name your sin today. By the way, I didn't try. Now, that wasn't my purpose to name your sin. My purpose was simply to show you the great danger that any of us put ourselves in when we grieve the Spirit of God. And there's so many little things that are, and, and maybe you maybe you think to yourself, well, Brother, I guess I don't see what you see. I guess you don't. But I want to tell you to listen. There should not be anybody, anybody when they come in here, they ought to be made to feel like a part of this. You say we got a friendly church, yeah. It, you know, if if all that really matters is shaking hand and smiling at somebody, if that's all that matters. We really do, and that that's a lot better than some of these places around here that you know, but but I'm telling you that's not enough. I've often described the church where I was saved as by saying that they wouldn't let you backslide if you wanted to. That's kind of the way it was. You didn't dare miss a service because man, they're going to be calling you on the phone and knocking on the door. They wouldn't let you get by with that. Sundays, we never, we, we, never, we never eat out back then for a different reason, but we, uh, every Sunday we was at either somebody's house or somebody was at our house. Every Sunday. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and most of the time on Wednesday night. There was that interaction. 
I'm finding it really difficult to cut this off, but I'm telling you, I'm staying with it because I understand how important it is. And we've got a situation that's a different world. We're scattered all over Houston. It's really difficult for us to have that interaction with each other. I understand that. And it's going to require that much more work on our part to make every person that comes through those doors feel like they are somebody special, that we love them, that we care about them, that we'll be there for them the very best that we can. I, be, believe me, if I said what I'm thinking right now, some of you, would you'd leave here so mad at me. Because you, you came in with the idea, well... Man, everything's going great down there at Lakeway. Well, I'll go back to what I said. A whole lot better than it is in a lot of places. But I'm not the least bit concerned about just pleasing you with my opinion of the situation. Kind of like somebody said, well, said of a certain church, said, man, you have to backslide to be in fellowship with that church. It's kind of the way it is in a lot of churches today. My only concern is that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We need to take serious when it speaks about doing things without partiality and loving one another. And, and when it talks about our love being without any hypocrisy. In other words, the real genuine article. What do you really want God to do with the church here and for the church? I mean, do you want do you want everything to stay like it is? I hope not. Wouldn't it be great if we saw somebody saved every week? Well, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. Wouldn't it be great if all of a sudden we had to have another building program because we've already outgrown this one? I'll go back to what I said, and I promise I'm through. There is no limit to the great things that God could and might do here if we do the things that are pleasing in His sight instead of the things that grieve His heart. And if you're here today and you can think of anything at all in your heart that you know is displeasing to the Spirit of God, you don't have to tell me what it is. You don't have to tell Brother Kenneth what it is. But you need to get it right with God this morning before we leave here. And we're going to give you that opportunity. And if you're here and you've never been saved, I beg you this morning, don't leave here again in that condition. You can know beyond all doubting that you're a child of God if you'll trust Him. Let's stand as we sing together here in just a minute. Father, how we thank You for the greatness of Your love toward us. Lord, I just pray You'll forgive me of the many times that uh, that I've ignored my responsibilities, the many times that I've entertained attitudes that, that were displeasing in your sight the many times that, that I've not been sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
And I pray this morning that you'll speak to our hearts. And Lord, help us this morning to be submissive to your will. Help us to be able to just crush beneath our feet all of our stubborn pride. Help us to admit that we're not the near-perfect people we'd like other people to think. And to just get open and honest about our real true condition. Forgive us, for we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen.